Today on Remote Space, how research interns worked this summer in big tech from the woman who led them. Hello? Uh, yeah, right. I'm sending that over in an hour. The meeting today? Another one? Hold on one sec. Enough! Working from home not as much fun as you imagined? Remote Space explores the tools and philosophies we use as we work more remotely. We'll talk to experts who have mastered remote work, those studying the shift in how we work, and those learning on the run. Here's your host, Doug Thomas. Hannah Wallach is a senior principal researcher at Microsoft Research. Her current work focuses on issues of fairness, transparency, and ethics as they relate to AI and machine learning. Her years as being an assistant professor at the University of Massachusetts Amherst sets her up to be a great leader for Microsoft's research intern program. I want to talk to Hannah about her experiences with the five interns that were scheduled to work with her this summer in New York City. Hannah, before this year, what did you see in an intern's eyes when they arrived on their first day of their internship? Oh, wow, that is a great question. Excitement. Sometimes maybe a little fear, but mostly excitement. I think generally interns, when they when they come to work with us, are pretty pumped about getting to spend the summer working with people at Microsoft Research. It's pretty different to regular PhD student life. So, yeah, I think they're normally pretty excited about it. And then for the summer, they would have a project or two that they would work on during that time besides, you know, other things. Is that how it usually works with research? Yeah, that's right. So there are there's a couple different ways this can happen. Sometimes the researchers have a particular project in mind that they know they want to hire an intern to work on. Sometimes they don't have a particular project in mind, but they have a sort of a general area in mind. And so then they might hire an intern who's also interested in that same general area. And then the researcher and the intern will then work together to define the specific project. What are some of the perks? I mean, they get to live in New York City, right? That's right. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, I think there's a bunch of different perks. So they get to live in New York City. They get to come and work at Microsoft Research with a bunch of researchers who are different to the same professors and postdocs and other graduate students that they see every day. They get to meet other interns in the internship program. They get to learn a little bit about what it's like to do research in industry, which can be a little bit different to doing research in academia. Yeah, there's many, many things that they get to sort of experience when they when they come and do an internship with us. And I assume it's a lot of Microsoft. One of the reasons that we do it is some of these folks will be future employees. That's right. Exactly. I mean, there's many reasons why we do it, to be honest. So yes, one of the reasons is that some people who've done internships will eventually go on to become employees. We also do it just to sort of bring in some fresh perspectives on the research topics that we're interested in. It's also many of the people who work for Microsoft Research used to be professors before joining Microsoft and so would have had graduate students working with them as professors. And this is kind of a nice opportunity to, you know, for want of a better way of 
putting it, work with somebody else's graduate students for a while. <laughs> it's just generally a great experience to bring in, you know, a different set of people and really kind of, you know, either supercharge a particular research project or get to work on something that maybe you wouldn't ordinarily have done, but because you can bring in an intern to work with you who perhaps has a specific skill set, then you get to do it. And I got to say, coming from the perspective of being someone older, someone who I think part of the success of my job is I'm not the smartest person in the room most time, almost always. Being with an intern on their team, it's uh, making sure that you keep up on your skills because, boy, as I would say, these kids are sharp. Yeah. This is a process. I mean, is there a numbers of how many people try to and how many people we usually accept? That's a really good question. So I actually don't know the numbers. I do know that we get a lot of applications every year. And at the end of the day, we don't accept that many people. In my lab, it's about one intern per researcher. So, you know, there are constraints there. And it is pretty competitive to get an internship position. But the people who come in to do internships with us, they are incredibly smart. And as you were saying, I learned a huge amount about them. In my own case, my research is really interdisciplinary. So I'm a machine learning researcher by training. But for the past several years, I've been working mostly on topics around fairness, accountability, transparency, ethics, in the context of AI and machine learning. But these types of topics are topics that really benefit from a, a diverse set of perspectives and from, from both qualitative and quantitative research methods. And as somebody who's, whose background is in machine learning, so it's specifically in quantitative research methods, working with interns is one of the ways that I get to learn about some of the other disciplines that really contribute to these areas. In particular, the past few years, I've worked with several students who've come from human-computer interaction. And so I've ended up learning a lot about human-computer interaction through working with them. That sounds great. Now, some of those things haven't changed, but with everyone working remotely now, what was the first day for an intern like this year? Yeah, so very different. So normally the interns show up, they have an in-person orientation, then we take them to lunch, then you know we have some research meetings, that kind of stuff. And at the same time, you know, as the intern is having lunch with their research mentors, and then going into meetings with the people they're going to be working with, they can see all of the other interns who are either starting on the same day or who've already started floating around the office. They can also see all of the researchers who work in the lab floating around the office. And of course, that wasn't the experience this year. When the pandemic first happened, we were a little bit worried that Microsoft might, I don't know, cancel all research or all internships or something. But in the end, where possible, they did go ahead and do internships in this sort of virtual form, which has been really great because, you know, as I was saying before, there's a ton of reasons why we really enjoy working with interns and why interns really enjoy working with us. So it was great that we got to sort of, you know, keep that going this year and really, really have that same you know, opportunity, but it's very different. So this year, for example, on the first day for each of my interns, rather than taking them out for lunch, 
we would have sort of a, a remote social meeting, just a bit of a, hey, let's talk. You're new. You know, I don't know. Let's talk about our project. Let's talk about you, the internship, the summer, all of that kind of stuff. And then similarly, we would have sort of initial meetings via Teams as well. But this is quite different because they're not seeing all of the other interns, all of the other researchers, all of that sort of activity that would ordinarily be taking place in the office. Yeah. How do you send somebody a a lunch virtually? That's one thing we haven't mastered uh, uh, yet. Willy Wonka did, but we haven't. Well, this is it. It's funny you should say that, though. One of the surprises this summer has been that Microsoft has coordinated, at least as far as I see it, I mean, maybe it's not actually the case, but many more intern events for all of the interns across the the company. What kind of new event was there? They've done a wide range of things, ranging from like, you know, shared yoga classes to like those those things where everybody has to paint the same picture to I think they did a it was either a cocktail or a mocktail making session. And for every single one of these, they would send the interns, you know, the relevant materials for participating in that event so that everybody could sort of join in together and and be part of that same experience. I thought that was really cool. We haven't obviously sort of seen so much of that in previous years where it's been more folks in the lab taking the interns, you know, out to do social things and stuff like that, but on a much smaller scale because we're typically interacting just with the interns in our own lab. That's great. I mean, one thing I've heard is is some small companies are just going to ditch the office and work remotely for the time being. So they're trying to figure out the funds that they would put into to rent a space they can give to their employees and, and yeah, get them items either on a trivial fund basis or things that they need to make sure they're more comfortable when they're working from home. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. So a lot of people looked on a social level of getting prepared for what's the intern going to need that we have to ship to them. What did you have to do to prepare yourself to change working remotely versus uh, working in-house when it came to the actual work and assignments? This is really interesting. So over time, I've ended up doing a lot more qualitative work than I used to do. So things involving user studies, stuff like that. And I, I often do these things as intern projects because I don't have much formal training in these things, but the interns that I work with typically do. So I often save up a lot of my sort of user study oriented work for the summers when I can then work on these projects with interns. But of course, when you're typically doing a user study or or co-design sessions or something like that, you do it in person. You'd sit down in person with somebody and, and you know, maybe you talk through some particular piece of software that you, you wanted to get their, their feedback on, see how they use, or you, you know, sit down with a group of people in a room and have them, you know, brainstorm ideas about something for the purposes of conducting a co-design session. All of these things that are very in-person and sort of almost physical. And we can't do that with the pandemic. We can't do that when, you know, I'm in New York, my interns are in in however many other states across the across the country. So we had to do some creative thinking about how to actually conduct user studies virtually. 
which was pretty interesting. It sort of forced us to investigate um, a bunch of things like shared whiteboard spaces or, you know, Jupyter notebooks that the, the person doing the user study can interact with while we're sort of, you know, recording the session virtually, that kind of stuff. But it definitely required us to think a little bit more creatively. And then even when analyzing data, you know, I've often sort of taken, for example, quotes from user studies and cut up pieces of paper and rearrange stuff with, with post-it notes on a, on a large table. And I'm standing there with my other collaborators and the intern and, and we're all sort of pouring over this. And again, you just can't do that now. So we, we've had to sort of turn to virtual techniques for that kind of thing, too. It's definitely been pretty different. I do think it's actually worked surprisingly well. I've been really pleasantly surprised at how smoothly it's all gone, to be perfectly honest. Oh, well, that's good on that. Any other uh, uh, tricks that you learned or something that you experimented that, uh, again, that you were surprised it went so well? The thing that surprised me the most is that I realized that I actually rely a lot on, I guess, for want of a better way of putting it, sort of in-person mechanisms when I'm working with interns. Things like being able to see my interns' facial expressions as they're working throughout the day, even if we don't have any meetings that day, right? So I can tell if they're looking, you know, frustrated or, or confused, that kind of stuff. Similarly, you know, I would ordinarily run into my interns in the office kitchen. And then, of course, you run into somebody, you end up talking casually, maybe you end up talking about your, your project together. But aspects of the project that perhaps you wouldn't get to or wouldn't necessarily have touched upon in a more formal meeting session. So I guess I was really surprised to find that there, there were these things that I had been relying on previously, but didn't even realize it. And it was only sort of in their absence that I realized how much I'd been relying on them. So I had to pivot a bit in that regard in terms of you know, firstly, relying more on just the chat functionality within Teams, and then also making sure to set more frequent meetings than I perhaps would ordinarily have done as well. So I thought that was kind of interesting. I learned something about how I work that I that I didn't know before. Yeah, you know, to double down on that kind of thought process is important, because that's probably, I don't know if it's the number one thing I miss, but yeah, I, that's how I got, I always think when I was doing certain content, I got 20% of my ideas from those conversations and, and those run-ins. The one thing that I've noticed in, in the team's meetings that we didn't do before, usually if you were remote or you were, uh, people were calling in, you kind of stayed to the singularity of the meeting with a couple of sides. Cause people like me would always be joking. But now it seems like you have two sides, you have the meeting and then there's the chat window which can comment on the meeting, but also can go in different directions sometimes that I know people holding meetings now are making sure they look at the chat because the meeting could go off the rails. But a lot of times the more interesting stuff almost seems to be in the chat. Did you notice that? Yeah, I definitely noticed that. And actually, the place where I noticed it the most was with a, a reading group that we hold once a week. It's sort of a reading group discussion group. Every other week, we read papers. And the weeks in between, we, we talk about 
three or four people's research. And we have been holding these meetings for several years now. And normally what happens is, is outside of the summer, they're pretty small with, with a handful of us researchers and then some other people in the company that we, that we work with. And then in the summer, these meetings grow because we have all of the interns around. And so this year we were, we were holding these meetings virtually. And what we ended up finding is that there was just this incredible back and forth in the chat that was, as you were saying, in, in many cases, sort of directly commenting on what was taking place in the meeting, but without sort of disrupting the flow of conversation in the meeting itself, sometimes taking stuff off into sort of interesting tangents that I think people wouldn't necessarily have wanted to disrupt the meeting to say, but that were really useful and really, really exciting. So I, I found that to be quite enjoyable. For me, at least, I, I like having that sort of back channel way of communicating with the meeting participants at the same time as having the actual meeting itself. Right. No, I agree. I think it's one that's to me, that's one thing that will change, that we'll continue to do that. Maybe even if we're in the same space in the meeting, we could be doing a secondary meeting in the chat window on that. The uh, interns... Did you have to work with their struggles to be online? Any mental, I don't want to say mental health, but you know, I mean, we've been very conscious of how people are dealing from working from home. These kids were expecting a summer in New York City, which there's a disappointment, but there's also the fact that they're probably, for many of them, I think, still with their parents. Did they talk to you about that or were they just trying to always be on and ready for you since they're an intern and they want to be, you know, Superman and Superwoman? It really depends on the the specific intern in question, you know, and this is always the case with a group of people. Some are more likely to talk about personal stuff and some are less so. I will note that most of our interns are actually PhD students, so they're not living with their parents. We do typically have a couple of undergrads each year who would be potentially living with family members, but maybe not as well. And honestly, we, we at various points over the summer, definitely did discuss sort of the challenges of working from home, in part because it has been hard for everybody and in different ways. You know, I, I have colleagues who have had all kinds of childcare issues, unsurprisingly, because of the pandemic. And so I, I think it has been pretty normal to talk about some amount of this kind of just, I guess, challenging way of working <laughs> within the meetings. And also dealing with remote workers, kind of switching gears a little bit, you have a lot of background in this and kind of a unique perspective of how a remote worker might work before 2020. That's right. So I'm based in New York. There's a, a small Microsoft research office there. But you know, the headquarters of Microsoft are in Redmond. So I for many years have been in this position of being at Microsoft, yes, being in an office, but still being remote in some way because I'm not there in Redmond. And to be honest, this didn't matter so much when I first joined the company, simply because most of my collaborators at that point in time were other researchers in the New York lab or were academics at universities. But as I got more involved in sort of activities across the company, particularly as I ended up focusing more on these issues around fairness, accountability, and transparency, I've ended up working with a really wide variety of people from all over the company, but most of whom are based in Redmond. 
And what this meant is that I would, prior to the pandemic, even though I, I was sort of physically in the office, I would spend several hours a day in Teams calls rather than in in-person meetings because I was meeting with people who were based in Redmond. And because the office is open plan, this meant sitting in a, you know, one of those tiny little phone booth things, uh, sometimes for <laughs> hours at a time as I was on these Teams calls, which wasn't always the most pleasant thing. And it's very nice, I have to say, even though I am in Teams calls all day long at the moment, it's really nice to be taking them in my apartment, which is lovely. So I do appreciate that. I also found prior to the pandemic that because I was often the only person outside of Redmond taking part in these meetings, people would schedule meetings at inconvenient times because of the time difference, or they would forget to add call-in links because, you know, I was the only person calling in. And sometimes they would even forget to invite me all together, not out of, you know, malice or bad intentions or anything, but just simply because when you see people in person every day, it's a lot easier to remember to invite them to things. So, I guess in some way, since the pandemic, it feels like the playing field has kind of been leveled. People have been much more respectful of time zones because some people, yes, are, are still in their original time zone that they're in, but people have gone to other places to be with family members as well. All meetings now have call-in links because everybody's calling in, so that that doesn't tend to get omitted anymore. And it seems like I'm always invited to meetings as well, at least as far as I know. <laughs> I mean, maybe there are all kinds of other things taking place without me that I don't know about. But it definitely seems as if I'm much more involved or sort of a, you know, almost first class citizen than I had really felt like before. So yes, even though I am in more meetings than I used to be, and yes, even though I am in Teams meetings all day long, in many ways, I kind of like this. And I, I think it sort of had this unexpected nice side effect that I, I wouldn't necessarily have predicted. Very true. Uh, in fact, it's one of those things that I think one of the things that people have to think about as we get back into this office or a hybrid environment or whatever is how to continue that to make sure everyone feels like, as you said, a first class citizen at, at the meeting, because we've, as you said, we've leveled the playing field. And the place where I've noticed this the most actually has been with academic conferences. So, you know, as a researcher, I, I publish in academic conferences and regularly attend academic conferences. And in fact, over the years, I've also been pretty involved in organizing them as well. And for many years, people have been talking about adding more of a virtual experience to conferences. And this is for a bunch of reasons, one of which being, at least in machine learning, conferences have been getting more and more popular. And so registration keeps selling out. For the Neural Information Processing Systems conferences, a conference a couple of years ago, registration sold out in under 12 minutes, which is faster than even, no, seriously. That's why I couldn't get there. I really wanted to. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's like faster than Burning Man, which I think is half an hour, but not as fast as a Beyonce concert. One of her, one of her concerts sold out in 30 seconds. So, you know, some ways to go, but still. So because of that, and there are so many people who want to go to these conferences, but just can't, 
Also people, of course, who can't travel either for family reasons or health reasons or visa reasons. So this has been a real topic of discussion for the past several years, certainly among the machine learning community, but it just hadn't really happened. I think for a number of reasons, one of which is, you know, figuring out how to run a virtual conference or a hybrid virtual and physical conference is really difficult. And in the end, the pandemic just kind of served as a forcing function. So conferences this year were forced to go entirely virtual. And, you know, things haven't always gone super smoothly. And it has been definitely a lot of work for conference organizers to both figure out how to make the logistics work, but also to figure out how to sort of translate some of the the typical components of conferences into that kind of virtual format. But it's been really worthwhile. And I'm really excited to see what happens even after the pandemic is over, because I expect that most conferences having put in this work to figure out what it will look like in this virtual format won't go back to a fully in-person format. I expect that just about everything will at least move to a hybrid in-person virtual format. So that's been really interesting. Yeah, no, it's, it, you know, and several of them have, you know, turned it because they're experimenting, have turned it into free. VidCon uh, had a free element. Uh, some of the Microsoft events have been opened up more. So attendance has boomed. It's one of those things that it's be really curious to see how they decide to do it. Will they try to do, you know, the same presentation for both online and in person? Or will you have, I assume it's some sort of hybrid of that if you pay extra funds to actually go there, you would think, well, I would think you'd get more than just free cocktails, that there'd be some <laughs> more incentive to actually coming to it. But that's really intriguing because you now have so many more people interested because they had a chance to attend. Yeah. And I think I think there are still benefits of attending in person. You know, in my case, I have people all over the world who I've known for a really long time and who are now really, really good friends who I've gotten to know through these conferences. And so the benefit to attending in person is that I get to see them. These are not people who I typically see every day because we don't, I mean, not that I see anybody every day at the moment because of the pandemic, but people who I don't normally get to see every day because we don't live in the same city. So I think the benefit is that still that sort of in-person interaction, particularly with people who, you know, you maybe haven't seen for a while and would like to see, or even some of that sort of randomness of running into new people, that kind of stuff. But it's really great that everybody who wants to sort of participate in some aspects of the conference experience will hopefully be able to do so. And even at the virtual conferences I've been to so far, you know, I sort of expected that you'd, you know, watch a virtual presentation online, that kind of thing, and maybe that would be it. But everybody's worked so hard to provide opportunities for conference attendees to meet each other and to talk, even in this sort of virtual environment. And I've really enjoyed that. Aside from any Anything else. Normally at physical conferences, you have these poster sessions where you've got, I don't know, however many massive number of people all standing around in a room and they're all looking at different posters and there's a massive amount of noise and it's quite frankly often quite smelly and warm as well <laughs> and not the most pleasant experience. <laughs> So this, of course, has been replaced with more of a virtual sort of discussion session. And I found it to be a lot more satisfying, even putting aside the sort of crowded space and 
the smell and the heat and stuff like that, I actually don't hear very well in one ear. And so I find poster sessions really difficult just to even hear what's being presented. And so with the discussion sessions, it's just much easier to do that instead. It's also been really nice to even be able to sort of interleave conference sessions with some of my regular meetings as well. So I don't know, there's there's a lot to like there. We need uh, we need a giant conference water cooler probably, and we'll see what that works on that. Yes. Uh, now I'd be re- I'd be remiss without asking about one thing that's changed and how it's changed and what you're looking forward to getting back to. I can't believe a virtual world of roller derby would be anything that's been interesting for you, knowing that you have an interest in roller derby. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So I I actually have to admit that I haven't played the past few years. Just too many other things going on, got too busy, I don't know, took up random other exercise things instead. But yeah, it's been really tough for for roller derby leagues to be able to, to practice, to compete. Everything's really shut down. And we are we are living in a very different world at this point. A lot of people have ended up taking taking up casual roller skating, though. In fact, I, I'm not super connected with this, but but I was told by some of my younger and more fashionable friends that roller skating has actually been one of the sort of fashionable things to do in the pandemic. You know, people recording roller skating videos for TikTok and stuff like that. So I certainly wasn't expecting that. I thought that was I thought that was really awesome to hear. <laughs> well, we'll uh, again maybe when it comes back, it will it'll be excuse to get back on the uh, back on the wheels exactly hannah wallach is a senior principal researcher at microsoft research in new york city thank you so much for your time hannah and uh be well and uh we'll see what these changes happen and and hopefully yes we maybe we can get back together but we'll maybe change how how well we smell <laughs> thank you thanks for listening Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to hear more stories and lessons learned from those working in the remote space.